Welcome back to Podcast 38 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Osbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Osbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by MyBookie.ag. For a 50% sign-up bonus, please visit MyBookie and use the promo code the odds breakers, terms, conditions, location apply. If you'd like to help us out with our cost sponsored website podcast, we'd love to help you out. Please visit theoddsbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member. Pick any of our winning handicappers, get their premium plays before the line moves, including myself. You can also support us on Patreon. And if nothing else, please visit theoddsbreakers.com and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. How you doing, everyone? Hopefully, well. I have been spending a lot of time upgrading the website we have some fantastic premium cappers we are already putting up their football packages up for 2022 we also have some soccer packages as well as even next year's nba package for chris farley you know the season's not even over yet but it creeps up on you pretty quick so wanted to put that out for Chris as he does such a fantastic job and I'm actually proud of all of our handicappers here at the odds breakers huge shout out to Steve Norman as well just had a baby a future sports better gotta love it named Shelby massive shout out to Steve Norman I'm sure he's uh knee deep in diapers and uh no sleep been there a few times already in my life but uh Best to do it during the summer because uh, by the time football season comes around, he's probably going to start to be able to get more sleep and give us those awesome plays that he had at last year and uh, coming into this year. But if you have any questions for us, please contact us at the Odds Breakers. We are also accepting handicappers with experience. If you would like to contribute and monetize with the Odds Breakers, feel free to contact us via Twitter or via the website at theoddsbreakers.com. So this episode is our 400th episode in season six, my friends. That's right. Six seasons ago, I started this thing. This is my 400th episode. I suppose if you count the other podcasters at the Ozbreakers, we have more than 400. I'm not counting that. I just count my own, but I'm pretty excited to get to this feat. You know, 400, it's funny. It doesn't like sound like a lot, but man, <laughs> it, it feels like you've done a lot when you've been doing this for six years and I loved every single minute of it. And I want to thank all you listeners out there for supporting me, supporting the odds breakers, supporting our handicappers and the way we've grown throughout the years. You know, uh, I really enjoy it. I enjoy talking about sports. I enjoy learning about sports betting and taking what I learn and trying to express that to you in the best way that I can. And some of those ways are through other ventures like Sports Wagering U. We are putting out a UFC class very soon. I've worked hard on it. Last week in the UFC, I went 5-1. and one. Started a little bit cold this year, but the last three UFC events have all been profitable, and the 5-1 and one was 
really, really fantastic for me last week. And I just want to share my knowledge of the UFC through Sports Wagering U to all of you guys out there or anybody that wants to bet the UFC. The nice thing about the UFC is that it actually goes on throughout the whole year. But Sports Wagering U is going to have some more football stuff coming out very soon. So if you're interested in learning some of the stuff that I know and some of the advanced handicappers know, such as a Kyle Hunter, such as a a Ron Ace, such as Chris Farley, uh, anybody that's been doing this for a while, you know, feel free to check it out. There's some free stuff at Sports Wager U as well. But we have a great show for you, my friends, because Sig from Wager Talk is coming back to talk about the Belmont Stakes coming up this weekend. And before Sig comes on, I'm going to talk about my work on the NFC West. And after that, I'm going to get right into UFC 275 and talk about the card with a couple plays to give you as well. Come on, don't bullshit me. All right. Well, let's get started then. With a little NFL football, the NFC West 2022 preview and season win totals. Starting out with the NFC West, they remained at the top of the totem pole last year with the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams winning it all while the division had three teams in the playoffs. That's absolutely fantastic, right? Can't believe how good this division remains after a few years because the NFL always tends to correct itself. But the weird thing about the NFC West is that the Seahawks went from first to worst last year, even with Russell Wilson, and the Niners went from Worst to the playoffs, okay? The NFC West will get the NFC South and the AFC West this year, which I will call medium hard in general, right? I mean, the NFC South and the, it has, well, Tampa, your, your New Orleans Saints, but then the bottom two are pretty bad, so that's good. But the AFC West, much harder when you have the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders, and now the Russell Wilson Denver Broncos. That's going to be so interesting. So it's got to be medium hard. you know. Uh, four of those teams in just one division are all projected to have great seasons. I mean, the Raiders made the playoffs last year, right? I mean, the Chargers probably should have made the playoffs. They just have to fix their defense. Great quarterback in Herbert. And now you got Russell Wilson with the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. You can't forget about that, obviously. Yeah, the, yeah, the NFC West is going to have some challenges there. But the weird thing about the NFC West, no head coaching changes. <laughs> Certainly some uncertainty at the quarterback's position for a few of these teams, though. Right, Even though the NFC West 
has some great organizations. I have to think that this division has to take a step back one of these years, and maybe it's going to be this year as a whole. But don't be surprised if you get someone back in the Super Bowl from this division for 2023. Let's start out with our Super Bowl champions, Los Angeles Rams. And their Vegas win total is 10.5. Hmm, not that high. 2021 wins 12. Pythagorean wins 10.5. It's like their Vegas win total completely matched their Pythagorean win total. Their schedule this year, it's going to be hard. Of course, like what did I just say about the AFC West and the top two of the NFC South? Well, that, that that's going to be tough. And they, they have the first place at large games versus Buffalo versus Dallas and at Green Bay. That's tough. Last year's schedule, well, that was hard as well. You know, they had uh, that tough division to go through. Key losses in the personnel department. Edge rusher Von Miller. Cornerback Darius Williams. Guard Austin Corbett. Defensive tackle Sebastian Joseph. Running back Sonny Michelle. Linebacker Troy Reeder. Wide receiver Odell Beckham which they got mid-season, tackle Andrew Whitworth, which was a massive leader on that offensive line, right? I think he got the uh, Walter Payton Award last year. My favorite football player of all time, Walter Payton, if you didn't know. So, I didn't even write Aaron Donald here, and I did this before he signed his contract. I just knew he was coming back. It looks like Cooper Cup just got paid too, guaranteed $75 million. $110 million contract over five years. Pretty nice payday for a guy from, what, Eastern Washington University? Something like that? Yeah, I'd say so. Best wide receiver in the league, maybe. <laughs> Numbers-wise, for sure, right? I can't, see, can't say how you could say someone was better than him last year. Key additions. Inside linebacker Bobby Wagner. Wide receiver Allen Robinson. Okay, a couple small guys there. Key draft picks. Tackle Logan Bruss from the badges and a bunch of prayers. That's what I wrote down. I mean, they didn't start drafting until the third round, and that's where they got Logan Bruss. And Logan Bruss is pretty good. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to be like a, a ram check or anything, but we'll see what happens with Bruss. I mean, these Super Bowl champions last year, Cut their quarterback in Jared Goff and picked up veteran Matt Stafford, and the rest was history. I mean, do you feel bad for Goff for <laughs> what happened to him? Gets traded for Stafford, and his replacement for the Rams wins the Super Bowl. Hell no. <laughs> I have a rule that you never feel bad for anyone who doesn't have to work another day in their life. <laughs> okay, um, He had his opportunity there with uh, the Rams. I saw his performance in the Super Bowl. But you know what? He's rejuvenated and remotivated now, and he could... Uh, now, now he can take the Lions to the Super Bowl this year, and uh, everybody will be happy. Yeah, right. So... Let's go back to the Rams here then. 
I'm seeing a team that's kind of thin. Okay. I mean, they lost a lot in free agency. Even though they got back Aaron Donald, paid up the nose through him, and they got Cooper Cup, they still lost Austin Corbett and True Whitworth, right? A couple key guys on their line, shifting their line around. Troy Reader, Sebastian Joseph, Von Miller. So there's still some key guys there, and they only got really back Bobby Wagner. I guess Allen Robinson from the Bears, but, you know, he seemed to really take off last year, and who knows what kind of player he's going to end up being. I can't think he's as good as Odell Beckham. But when you look at the Rams, everything they did by mortgaging their future was the correct move. They won the Super Bowl. That's the important thing. It doesn't matter now. But they still don't have any draft picks. <laughs> and it's not about last year. This is about sports betting. This is about 2022-2023 season. Right? So lots of shifting going around. Their coach, Sean McVay, just got married. <laughs> you know, I I'm not that high on this team. I think that their Pythagorean shows it a little bit. 10.5, you know, not the 12 wins that they got. I thought they were fortunate last year. They are fortunate they didn't get injured that much, right? I think this team's going to have a little bit of money to spend when needed, but if they get the injury bug, bad things can happen. I just think that this could be a hangover year, and you can say that about any Super Bowl team I know, but just losing some of the guys that they did and through such an emotional thing that they accomplished – I'm not seeing it this year. I think it's going to be more like 9.75 wins is my number. So I guess you can round that to 10. But not quite enough for me to go under 10.5. But I'm sure thinking about it, right? So my thoughts are going to be to lean under with the Rams. But I still have their power rating quite high at 5.25 points better than the average team. Because you have to remember... This team is still coming in with all that talent. They're just thinner if they get injured. I think this team's going to be very interesting to watch. Next team, number two, is the San Francisco 49ers. Vegas win total 10 juiced to the under. 2021 wins was 10. Their Pythagorean wins was 10.26. Their schedule this year is actually medium. Because their at-large games are at Chicago versus Miami and versus Washington. Remember, they're the third-place team in this division that made the playoffs. So their schedule's not quite as bad as the others, right? I mean, that's good. Good for them anyway. Let's see who they lost this year. Jimmy Garoppolo they're trying to trade. They're still trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. He's kind of not invited to minicamp. Well, he doesn't have to show up to minicamp, quote, quote, because of his shoulder, but we all know the real reason. Guard, Lakin Tomlinson. Defensive tackle, DJ Jones. They lost cornerback, Kwan Williams. Defensive end, Arden Key. Guard, Tom, straight out of Compton. Running back, Raheem Mostert, who's injured all the time anyway and cornerback Josh Norman. 
Key additions, cornerback Charvarius Ward, safety George Odom, inside linebacker Oren Burks, if you call that a key addition, I guess. He was kind of a second stringer-ish for the Packers. And defensive tackle Hassan Ridgeway. Key draft picks, Edge, Drake, Jackson, and a bunch of bums. All right. This team is the most interesting team in the division because it's just going to go one of two ways here. John Lynch is going to come out this year either looking like a genius or he's going to look like an absolute idiot. No middle ground here, okay? I mean, they picked Trey Lance in the 2021 NFL draft. They duped some people and... So just because of the fact that they dupe people to get their guy just makes it just more pressure for this guy to be good. But he didn't look all that great when he played. You know? I mean, they could have gotten Mac Jones at this position, and that was the whole rumor, or even at Justin Fields. But, I mean, looking at what Jimmy Garoppolo did, he was number four in EPA. That's expected points added plus completion percentage over expectation. That's a that's an advanced metric that I look at. Quarterbacks, EPA plus CPOE. All right? I mean, EPA is important because it puts value to the yards you get. If it's third and 10 and you get eight yards, that's not awarded as much as third and four and you get five yards. That's what EPA is all about, right? And... uh I like advanced stats, and Jimmy Garoppolo was fantastic. Maybe it was because his coach is so good, Kyle Shanahan. But I watched him play, and he looked like a franchise quarterback to me. And now they're trying to trade him. I mean, his EPA plus CPOE ranked higher than Tom Brady and Dak Prescott last year. And they had good years. Maybe the Niners are a little bit embarrassed here. Uh, and now they have to get rid of Jimmy G because of the quarterback controversy. But, man, when I saw Trey Lance last year, he was raw. Now, maybe he takes a huge step forward this year, but risking the fourth best quarterback in the league is absolutely insane to me. Absolutely insane. Um, Keep in mind, though, what I will say, is this team still got to the playoffs when they had a lot of injuries last year? I mean, Lance did play a game or two, right? Um, they lost a lot of skill positions last year. George Kittle was injured for a long time. Mostert, Wilson, and Trey Sermon were injured pretty much right away as well. You know, they're running thin on the running backs. Um. I think Debo was pretty healthy. He might have missed a little bit. Brandon Ayuk got injured a little bit. This team was very beat up last year, and they still got to 10 wins. But that is all Coach Shanahan because what the Niners have going for him is maybe one of the best top three coaches in football. And uh, Kyle Shanahan. So even with this whole Trey Lance thing going on, I don't, I don't want to necessarily take this under based upon 
how good this coach is, and they must know something that I don't about Trey Lance. I know Debo Samuel's pissed at them and requested a trade. I have to assume that that's going to be fixed at some point. Maybe he's pissed that Garoppolo's going too. I don't know. George Kittle made a statement last year about it. But uh, I don't like their draft. Starting with their first pick at number 61. And that's where they got that edge rusher and Drake Jackson. You know, my number without Jimmy Garoppolo, I have to punish him, is 8.63 wins. But do I want to take the under 10? I'm not running into the window to do that because I just like Kyle Shanahan that much. And I also like the fact that they have the third place schedule. So not running to the window just yet, but I'm close on this one. Lean to the under. And I have 8.63 wins. And my power rating for the Niners is 1.75 if it's Trey Lance playing. And four if it's somehow Jimmy G playing. But I doubt it's going to be him. Number three, the Arizona Cardinals. Vegas win total, 8.5. Ooh, pretty low. 2021 wins was 11. Pythagorean wins, 9.95. Schedule's medium hard. At large. Versus Philadelphia. At Minnesota. And versus New England. (laughs) That's your second place schedule right there. Last year's schedule was also medium hard as well. Key losses, wide receiver Christian Kirk, edge rusher Chandler Jones, running back Chase Edmonds, inside linebacker Jordan Hicks, defensive end Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle Corey Peters, tight end Demetrius Harris. They had a couple good games. Key additions, outside linebacker Nick Vigil, running back Daryl Williams, and wide receiver Marquise Brown. Key draft picks, tight end Trey McBride, edge rusher Cameron Thomas, Edge rusher, my J Sanders, and a bunch of meh. Sorry, bro, just kind of a bunch of meh. Next time I see Steve Kime at my grocery store, he lives by me, I'm going to ask him what the hell he was thinking for overpaying for Buda Baker, James Conner, and Justin Pugh. <laughs> you know, because he picked up J.J. Watt, and he had to pay J.J. Watt, too, which is yeah. I love the guy, but he's kind of injury prone. And it really handcuffed Kime on defense now, seeing all these guys leave because of it. Right? So they went late in some late round edge rushers, what they tried to get. Okay. They tried to get themselves some edge rushers. But being that they're like the, you know, ninth, tenth, maybe eleventh edge rusher available, maybe worse. You know, I can't think that they're necessarily going to turn out. Maybe one of them does. Maybe none of them does. One thing you have to factor in for the Cardinals that I have, I had to punish them for when coming up for a season win total. It's one of those little bit more intangible things like injuries is fumble luck. Okay, this team recovered fourteen fumbles while only losing four. Okay, if if a turnover is worth 3.6 points is by number, you know, some people say four, some people say three. I mean, that's a lot of points being 
That's 36 extra points based upon those fumbles. And fumbles are definitely a lot more about luck than it is about interceptions, as our good friend Ron Ace has said before on this podcast. I mean, that's a massive, massive number. I think the Cardinals team is going to upset some teams, but I just cannot trust them. And I wonder how good Kyler's going to be with that nice fat paycheck slowing him down. Arizona was at least injured some last year, so I gave him a little bit back for that. But, I mean, there's DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, How lost did Kyler Murray look without DeAndre Hopkins? Right, I I don't think they can take a step forward, but the Vegas thinks the same thing. Eight point five. Their Pythag was even at ten. I mean, my number's actually higher than that. It's eight point seven three, but I'm really that close on this team. So no lean for me, and my power rating is pretty low with them. One point seven five points above the average team. Very close to where the Niners are going to come in. And finally, the Seattle Seahawks. Vegas win total 5.5 juiced to the over. 2021 wins, seven. How the hell they even got seven? Pythagorean wins, 8.9. Well, there's your answer, I guess. I saw the Seahawks blow away a couple teams, including the Arizona Cardinals at the end where the Cardinals was playing for their division, and the Seahawks said, no, we're just going to kick your ass. And Russell Wilson looked awesome. And you're like, where the hell was this all year? You know? But their schedule this year is medium hard, at large at Detroit, versus the New York Giants, and versus the New York Jets. Really liking that. Key losses... Actually, I should say their schedule last year was also medium hard. Key losses, Russell Wilson, huge, leader of the offense. Inside linebacker Bobby Wagner, the leader of the defense. Safety DJ Reed, tight end Gerald Everett. Tackle Jamarco Jones, defensive end Carlos Dunlap. Tackle Dwayne Brown. Key additions, quarterback Drew Locke. Ugh. Linebacker Uchenna Nuwasu, defensive tackle Quinton Jefferson, guard Austin Blythe, cornerback Artie Burns, and wide receiver Mike Reese Goodman. Good win. Key draft picks, offensive tackle Charles Cross, edge Boye Mafe, running back Kenneth Walker III, and a bunch of dudes. I think we can see what Seattle's doing here pretty easily letting their best offensive and defensive players walk they're they're going to they're going to tank. They didn't exactly let Russell walk. They traded him, but same thing, right? They are thinking that there's a big decline coming for Wilson and uh they think he declined over the past few years as well, I guess. But I personally blame the coaching. I totally blame the coaching. I don't think that this team was playing to Russell's strengths. According to the football database, Seattle ranked dead last in number of rushing plays. That doesn't exactly help set up play action where you need Russell Wilson to be rolling out, being that shorter, and wants to you know have some options with his legs and hit some receivers on the go. He's been very good at that over the years. 
They also did not utilize their short to mid-range passing game using tight ends, dump-offs to the running back. They're too busy looking for the long ball. First in intended air yards last year. Okay? So, last year, Wilson somehow ranked fifth in quarterback rating, according to next-gen stats. I think he was top nine in uh, QBR from ESPN. Uh, The Seattle... Nice Pythag win total difference, right? They just couldn't put it together. They would blow out some teams and then lose some close ones. You know? Um, it just blows my mind that this team's number nine in DVOA and they couldn't even make the playoffs and they only ended up with seven wins. You know? But uh, now it really doesn't matter. They're rebuilding. And... I don't think Drew Locke's going to have much of a chance behind this dreadful offensive line because that was their bad spot, their offensive line. I do like how they drafted the first year rebuild. They're probably going to be a run-heavy team, right? Maybe for your fantasy football, you want to pick up Kenneth Walker, you know, the third. I, I think he might be a good pickup. But uh, I think for the future here, it's not going to be Drew Locke, and this might be a team in contention for one of those top two quarterbacks. So looking at Seattle, my Vegas win total after losing Russell Wilson and obviously Bobby Wagner, 5.25. Vegas says 5.5 juice to the over. So I'm slightly under. My power rating on them is minus 7.25 just because Drew Locke, you know, no offensive line, no Bobby Wagner. It's just they just lost too much, in my opinion. They did pick up some middle-of-the-road guys. But this number at 5.5 is too low for me to go under when their at-large games are at Detroit versus the New York Giants versus the New York Jets. So I'm just going to... Give you a slight lean to the under. So there you have it. This is my preview of the NFC West, and I don't have one play for you. I have zero plays, unfortunately, in the NFC West just because I'm not there yet. I want the lines to move a little bit. Maybe I'll have a play later. Maybe I won't. But unfortunately, can't have a play on everybody. And if the value's not there, you don't try to look for it. All right, now it's time for a little UFC 275. Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prokotska. And I got to tell you, I'm a Yuri fan. I've seen a few of his bouts here. I actually paid attention to him a little bit before he got into the UFC. And he's just been destroying competition. He's 28-3. and three. I mean, the man hasn't lost since 2015. He actually did get knocked out in the Risen against Mohamed Lowell. And, you know, he just keeps getting better and better. Obviously, very young, 29 years old. Well, pretty young, let's say. And he's been in the Risen for a long time. Went through it pretty well. Lots of knockouts. Heck, he hasn't went to a decision since 2016. 
he's a stand-up technical fighter, and he's already has a title match with Glover. Kind of blows my mind how fast he was able to get a title match, right? Because he's only had really two UFC fights. It's, you know, tier two, tier one type guys. I think that Vulcan Uzdemir, probably a tier two, and Dominic Reyes, probably tier one. You can argue both either way, really. But my problem with Yuri is that I don't know if his ground game has really been tested. Okay. I mean, those two guys that he fought are technical fighters or stand up fighters, right? They're not big wrestlers. Dominic, a little bit more than Vulcan, right? But still, you know, Glover Teixeira is a complete different beast on his own. And that's what happened when Teixeira fought. John Blakovich, right? I mean, put him in a rear naked choke. It's like John was a massive favorite. Well, minus 200 at least. And Glover went and took care of business. So that's my big issue here. You have Yuri at minus 200. You have Glover at plus 170. And Yuri's a, a pretty big public draw right now. And you know, it, it was at 180, 190, 200. I would have expected the, this number to be a little bit higher by now, but something's keeping it down. I mean, significant strikes. Yuri's just a beast. 7.19 to Glover's 3.72, but this is on, obviously, a smaller UFC schedule. Glover's takedown average is a lot higher. 2.11 to Yuri's 0.98. Okay. Yuri's reach is much bigger. 80-inch arms to Glover's 76-inch arms. But think about what the champ's going to do here. Think about what Glover's going to do. He's 42 years old. You really think he's going to be standing up with Yuri? He's going to try not to. I mean, he'll dance a little bit in the first, and then he's just going to go for the takedowns. Can Yuri defend that? I mean, Glover is fantastic at grappling. He is fantastic wrestler. Okay, that's my worry. He could He's going to try to ground and pound Yuri. He's probably going to try to put Yuri in a submission. You know, this could be, this is just, it's just too hard for me to want to bet Yuri here. And I really came into this, this uh, card thinking Yuri was going to be a play somehow. You know, I mean, most people are probably going to take Yuri by, KO or something at minus 135. I mean, look at how bad those odds are. Yuri is a minus 200 favorite, and just his KO price is minus 135, minus 140. You know, that, that's, that's, that's not that good of a number. Also, you have Teixeira coming in, and the sneaky play, of what people are thinking because of Yuri's not, I, I suppose, his lack of knowledge of ground game, the lack of our knowledge, not lack of his necessarily. To share it by submission is plus 350. And to be completely honest with you, that is the way I was looking at. 
I was going to go against one of my favorite fighters in Yuri and bet the value by submission at plus 350. But then here we go again. It's still pretty obvious, right? And I wonder how Yuri's going to do on the ground if Teixeira gets into a ground and pound. You have to remember that Teixeira has 18 KOs, 10 submissions, and 5 decisions. He's KO'd people more often than submission. Now, his last two wins against Jean Bapovich and Tiago Santos was by submissions. But he beat Anthony Smith by KO. Anthony Smith's a badass. Okay. The next two, next one before that was Nikita Krylov was a split decision. <laughs> you know, kind of shows you when somebody can defend wrestling, even though they're not that great, like Nikita Krylov from the Ukraine. He was actually able to get a split decision. Somebody like Nikita better. This was back in 2019. And then Ian Kudabella was a submission. Carl Robertson was a submission. And then back in 2018, Glover lost to Corey Anderson by decision. Beat Misha Shurkinov the year before in 2017 in December. But then the year before that, he lost to Alexander Gustafson. Gustafson. Got KO'd by Gustafson. I don't know, this Glover is so has been so erratic, but man, I am still trying to figure out which way I want to take this fight. I might not even take it at all if there's if I can't find value. I need to find some value here, and I'm struggling a little bit because there's a lot of sucker plays I think that can be played, and I also think that I can see paths to victory. For both fighters. And Yuri's KO prop isn't exactly one that's tempting. It's a five-round fight. Not sure if either of these guys can get that far. Maybe I just take an under three and a half or something like that. All right, next fight. Another very good fight. Talia Santos versus Valentina Shevchenko. Valentina is... Minus 700, minus 750 in most of these books. Talia is about plus 450, okay? Now, Shevchenko, I've said before, is the best technical fighter that I've seen in the UFC out of anybody, out of the men as well, okay? And she has just been a beast. The only person that's gotten her was Amanda Nunez, back in 2017 and 2016. But with Nunez, who Nunez is bigger, and she's been the probably the best fighter. I would say she's the best woman fighter in history, even though she just finally lost. These went to decision. And that one in 2017 was a split decision. I mean, this is dang how good Valentina is. Valentina, 34 years old, 22 wins, three losses. Her last fight was against Lauren Murphy. Knocked her out in the fourth. Jessica Andrade before that. Jessica's been good lately. She knocked her out pretty easily. 
fight before that, Jennifer Maya actually went to decision. I was actually a little bit shocked that Jennifer Maya lasted the way she did against Shevchenko, but she was getting beat pretty well. Caitlin Chukagan knocked out in the third. I mean, Shevchenko's just been running through these women. <laughs> just running through them. And this is going to be a flyweight fight of 125. Now, Shevchenko is probably just as big here, if not a little bit bigger, than Talia Santos. Talia Santos, 5'6", Shevchenko, 5'5". Talia Santos's reach is 68 inches. Valentina's is 66.5. Valentina fights south, southpaw, but she can really do anything she wants. She can go to orthodox. <laughs> She's great on the ground. She's great everywhere. Significant strikes is 3.2 for Shevchenko to 3.71. I don't, I don't even care about that, really, because Shevchenko's just done so much on the ground. So when she's up, she can strike you as much as she wants. And her accuracy is 67%. So both of these women have been very good at takedowns. Talia's been pretty good at submissions lately. But here's the thing. Where's the breaking point for Shevchenko? You know, she's had a lot of pounding over the years at 34 years old. Eight KOs, seven submissions, and seven decisions. You know, a lot of people are probably thinking... Valentina by decision, right? I mean, a lot of people are probably going to lean that direction. It's going to be a decent payout. A lot of people take women by decision in general. But this is a five-round fight. It takes a lot to get the decision with two great fighters. I'm going to give some props to Talia Santos. She had this weird loss against Barella in her UFC debut in 2019. It's a split decision. Just a weird loss against a terrible fighter. Okay. Before that, she was undefeated. You know, she was fighting in the AFC for the most part. And then she beats Molly McCann in 2020. Then she beats Jillian Robertson by decision in 2020. Then she beats Roxanne Modafferi by decision. And then she knocks the crap out of Joanne Wood when everybody bet Santos by decision. <laughs> so so she actually ended up choking out Joanne Wood, but she was beating the shit out of her. So all pretty good fighters. But what I can't ignore is this price. Okay. At some point something has to give. You know, what's the chances of Shevchenko winning this fight? At minus 700, the chances say that she has an 87.5% chance of winning this fight. Okay. That's pretty big. But, of course, then you look at the dog around the plus 450. Says that she has a 82% chance or 81.81% chance of winning this fight. You know, that's the way you got to look at it. If you're going to bet the dog, is Talia better than a 20% chance of winning? One out of five times. I think she is. And this is where it gets a little hairy. 
more often than not, when you see a massive dog and she's climbing up, fighting somebody that's been there for a very long time, it's it, it, it's a bet on. It, it's a time to be on that fighter, okay? Just because more often than not, they have gotten to the point where they are more elite every single match they fight, and they are ready to take on the champion. I mean, who's hungrier here, right? Talia or Valentina? Don't get me wrong. Valentina should be a favorite, and she should probably win this fight. But should her price be minus 700, minus 650, right? I think that Valentina probably has a 70% chance of winning. Seven out of ten times. But I can't say that she would win nine out of ten times, like her price shows, or even eight out of ten times. This is where you got to make that decision. I mean, at what point does Shevchenko get knocked out? Her three losses in her career, one was knockout, two was by decision. You know, She got knocked out back in 2010 so long ago. But that doesn't mean it can't happen again. And you have Talia Santos, who has just been a fantastic ground fighter. 10 KOs, three submissions, six decisions. There's a chance that Valentina can get caught up here. Right? So I'm going to go with Talia here just because of the price. I got it at plus 500. It is at plus 450 now. And I'm going to give you uh, Talia Santos at plus 450 for one star. Now, you never say people are due when you come when it comes to sports betting. It's one of the stupidest and worst ways of looking at it. But when you look at the history, when you look at a fighter on their way up, when you're trying to predict when a fighter comes down a little bit, this fight says that all it has it written all over it. Santos's numbers are good. She's only 28 years old. She's just had one hiccup on the nervous. Her nerves probably got to her a little bit, that first UFC fight. Then she went through some pretty good fighters. We're going to do this for just one star for plus, five, plus 450, whatever you can get. Shop around for the best number. And even though I'm most likely going to lose, I'm not going to feel bad about it because I believe that I win this bet over three out of ten times. I'll be more upset if I didn't bet it when I see this situation and it wins. Pal, I'll kiss your boots if you can do it. But to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here. Next fight. Zhang Wele versus Joanna Jedracek. And I think I said that right. So this fight's interesting too. Another woman strawweight fight. This is lighter. You know Rose Namajunas just lost last week due to her, it wasn't last week, it was a couple weeks ago, due to her awful strategy. But she bid bait Zhang Wele, the former champion, right? And she beat her two times in a row, but the last one was a split decision. Zane's a really good fighter, okay? And she's minus 165, and Joanna Jedracek is plus 140. Let's look at this one. 
Both of these fighters, very good strikers. Zhang's 5.5 significant strikes land per minute. Joanna is 6.3. When it comes to the ground game, you got to give it to Wei Lei a little bit. Her takedown average, 1.75 to only 0.28 with Joanna. And uh, Zhang's had a little bit more luck submitting people. Okay. So these fighters actually know each other pretty well because these fighters have fought each other recently. This went to five rounds back in March of 2020 when they fought last time. Zhang won in a split decision. Now, this was an interesting fight. I think Zhang kind of got caught off guard. Joanna was fantastic. Uh, Joanna, I believe, won the first few rounds, and then Zhang won the last three. Obviously, one judge gave it to Joanna. But, you know, since then, Zhang kind of went down. She lost, got knocked out by Rose. <laughs> Nasty head kick. And then she went to the split decision with Rose. But before this, Zhang was undefeated. Okay? And she beat a lot of good players like Andrade, like Tessia Torres, Jessica Aguilar. Right? So she definitely earned her stripes already in the UFC. And she's trying to get, hunt back a little bit. Joanna is from Poland. She, her last fight was back in 2020. She hasn't fought in over two years. And that fight was against Weili Zhang. Before that, she beat Michelle Watterson, who is pretty much a punching bag. <laughs> you know, and then she lost to Shevchenko like everybody else does. But she at least went to decision with Shevchenko. She bet she beat Tessia Torres. Then she lost twice before that to Rose Namajunas. This is a good fight. And to be honest with you, I think that Zhang might be a little bit too high of a price at minus 165. But what I do see here is a decision happening, right? Now, looking at the price, you are not going to get much on a decision. Going to decision is minus 220, minus 250, minus 227. Heck, that's not even that bad, really. I might even bet that. But I think Zhang's going to win this fight. I think she's kind of on the hunt and the way up, and she has less ring rust on her. I guess the thing that would scare me away from the decision is the fact that Joanna's got that ring rust. Now, Zhang is a much better price going to decision, plus 140. You know, when it comes to these light straw weight fighters, lots of their hits are like mosquito bites. And uh, <laughs> much better chance that both fighters are going to last. It's just kind of going to be a game of the amount of punches you can throw, right? Volume, volume, volume. But I think Zhang's going to have a little bit more of an advantage on the ground. Zhang's got 10 KOs and 7 submissions. Joanna's got 4 KOs and 1 submission. The rest of her wins are by decision. So I'm going to go with Zhang here at the plus 140 for... 1.5 stars, Zhang wins by decision. Next fight, Rogerier Bontorin versus Manal Kopp. Okay. Man, I, I tell you this. I almost bet Kopp by KO. Kopp's a badass. He's been fighting for, you know, he's only 28 years old. But he's in the UFC for the last couple years. He lost to Pantoja and somehow to Matthias Nicolau in a split decision. But then he beat 
Odie Osborne. And I like Odie Osborne. Flying knee to Odie. And then Zalgas Zumalov, he knocked out in the first round as well. So Manel is a very good technical fighter. He does have some ground game. He does have five submissions. And uh, most of his submissions kind of came... Came like uh, back in the day in the in the Risen when he was fighting in the Risen, but he still probably leans more of a uh, to be a stand up fighter. Rogerio, on the other hand, loves to get on the mat. Three KOs, eleven submissions, two decision. He lost by KO once, lost by submission once, lost by decision twice. Now, th- funny thing about Rogerio is that he was on a tear until he kind of got into the UFC. He did, did meet, uh, uh, he beat Magomed Bibutulov. I think I just destroyed his name. Then he beat Raleigh Paeva, which Paeva is, I think, a little bit of an overrated uh, fighter. And, and this was stopped by doctors. But then he lost to Ray Borg by a decision. Then he lost to Kai Kara France, which is completely fine because Kai Kara France is fantastic in the first round. He had a overturn no contest against Matt Schnell. I believe he won that, though. And I, I don't know what happened there. I think uh, someone came up dirty, was it? And then he lost to Brandon Royval. And Royval's good. You know, he beat, he, he put Kai Kara France in a choke. But then he lost to Brandon Moreno to Pantoja. <laughs> and then he beats Bontorin. And then he beats Matt Chanel himself. Um, so Brandon Royval is a very good fighter. This one's tough for me. And I. I almost, like I said, I almost bet cop by knockout, but Rogerio goes to decision a lot. Even though he lost three of his four last fights, they all went to decision. He got knocked out by Kai Kara France and got caught. But before that, if he's not submitting somebody, he's either submitting them or losing himself by getting submitted right and this is even going back into some of his other fights in lower federations so i'm a little bit hesitant here to go cop by knockout because i i actually kind of think this is a very desperate moment and desperate fight for rogario being that he's kind of down oh and four the last four fights even though they were very good contenders but i don't think rogario Wins this fight if this goes to decision. I mean, if this goes to decision, I think Cop that probably did enough to uh, to punch his way into a win, just based on significant strikes. Maybe the way to bet this is Cop wins by KO for about a unit at plus one thirty, and then Bontorin wins by submission at plus 500. Of course, you can always go fight doesn't go to decision, but that's already at minus 200 anyway. So that's not too far off from your odds here of betting both sides, right? So as as far as right now, I'm going to lean the fight just doesn't go to decision. Let's move on to the final fight of the main card. You got Jack Della Maddalena versus Ramazan Emiv. So Ramazan's a Russian. He's 20 and 5. He's a grappler, 
obviously, that's what most Russians are, coming into a fight against an Australian here. Australians, very tough guys, very, I would compare them to fighters from Mexico, very proud of what they do, proud of where they came from. But Jack here is 11-2. and two. He's the favorite in this fight at minus 160, while Amiv is plus 135. I have to ask myself why. Well, you look at some of Jack's history, he hasn't lost since 2016. His first two fights back in an Australian league, he lost. And then he, he he's won ever since, since October of 2016 it was his first victory and he hasn't lost and then he gets to Dana White's contender series he beats Ange Lusa and then he goes against Pete Rodriguez and knocks Pete Rodriguez completely out cold Pete Rodriguez who is he he's a bum that's who he is he's a bum hasn't fought in anybody here's what we don't know about Madalena. Same situation kind of with Yuri. We don't know how his ground game is against real fighters like the Russian, Ramazan, and Meev. Okay? And then you've got Ameev here who is much more tested than Jack. Ameev lost his last fight to Danny Roberts in a split decision. Danny Roberts, a pretty good fighter. Beat David Zawada. Beat Nicholas Stoltz. Who's not that good. He just got knocked out. He lost to Anthony Rocco Martin. But before that, he won three UFC fights in a row against Sam Alvey, good old smiling Sam Alvey, Alberto Mina, and Stefan Sikulic. So here's the thing. Who are you going to trust here? And why the heck is Amiva dog? It's because Jax hasn't lost in a while. But he also hasn't been tested. I've seen this many, many times. I think this is a fight where you have to look for Emiv. You're going to have to lean on the ground game. And this is going to be a bigger map. You know, I, I did not say that the, the location of this fight is in Singapore. It's going to be on a 30-footer, 30-foot octagon, which favors the ground game. They can't get to the cages quickly. So I think Emiv is a live dog here at plus 135. Because of his ground game. Can I trust Amiv to choke him out? Hell no. <laughs> you know, this might be one of those situations where he holds him against the cage. Right? I mean, Amiv himself has 10 decisions. This is a 170-pound fight class. So, kind of borderline. You don't lean towards the knockout or lean towards the decision here. Right? But Amiv has failed too many times to submit some of his fighters. Especially... When his last, holy cow, eight fights have went to decision. Emiv's last eight fights. He's never not went to a decision. And if you look at the price of it, Emiv fight doesn't go to decision plus 150. Fight goes to decision minus 180. Well, I I don't trust that either because maybe Emiv gets knocked out. Maybe Emiv submits him. But what I do like is the plus 135 here just based upon his strength to schedule being a lot higher than Jack Maddalena. And we haven't seen Jack be tested against the ground or on the ground against an opponent like a Russian 
Ramzan Emiv. Take Emiv plus 135 for one star. Well, it's a great day for me to whoop somebody's ass. All right, my friends. That's the main card in UFC 275. We also have some more plays for premium subscribers on the undercards. Now it's time to talk a little bit of Belmont with Sig from Wager Talk. Now I'm very happy to bring back a longtime horse better and handicapper. You've heard him many times on the Pony Pundits show and on the Wager Talk podcast. Really happy to welcome back Sig from Wager Talk. You can follow him on Twitter at Sig Las Vegas Sig. Crazy year of horse racing already, my man. How the heck you doing? Doing pretty well, Kian. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to the Belmont Stakes this weekend. Yeah, me too. You know, it's uh, I, I, it's an Oak Triple Crown. We kind of saw that coming right before the Derby, but that's okay. Um, I'm still excited for the Belmont. I love the, uh, the Triple Crown races in itself. I love the granddaddy of them all the mile and a half is you know i think they call you know the obviously the kentucky derby the big one but this one's the big one for me because it's the farthest race you know so i have a special affinity for the belmont and big sandy over there in uh, new york and uh you're pretty experienced yourself on this track aren't you i am yeah the belmont's actually the oldest of the three uh, races that are included in the triple crown uh it's it was out there before the Kentucky Derby, nine years before the Kentucky Derby, seven years before the Preakness. So, and it's definitely, they call it the test of the champion for a reason. It's probably the only time these horses are ever going to go a mile and a half on the dirt in their careers. And uh, we see a lot, I mean, a lot of horses that have gone in here with a chance to win the Triple Crown and just can't get it done because it's, it truly is the test of a champion. It's a tough track to run on for these horses. And the mile and a half distance, uh, only the horses with the best stamina are going to get there. That's right. The longest distance in pretty much any race. That's absolutely no. That's notable, right? There's. I haven't seen any longer, and uh, I'm very excited to dig into it. But before we do that, what are your thoughts on how the Preakness finished itself? I was I was in Cabo getting a little bit of sun that day. You know, I'm not even sure if I watched it on time. Wink, wink. But uh, I did bet it, and I, I hit a saver ticket. I didn't hit what I wanted, but I got a saver. What is your thoughts about the Preakness? Yeah, uh, Preakness pretty much uh, happened the way I expected it to happen. Uh, if you guys remember, I did a, a, the pod with you. I had Creative Minister on top. He unfortunately didn't get there that day, but early voting got a perfect trip under Jose Ortiz. Sat just off uh, the early leader, and then I uh, took control of the race in that far turn. He held off Epicenter. In the meantime, Epicenter had a horrible trip. He uh, broke late, and then he had to check early in the race. And he did, I mean, he caught up to, uh, Rosario got him up to early voting in the race, but he could never get past him there, could not recover from that. I mentioned creative minister real quick. He had a great ground-saving trip, which I think was a great education for him, being his first time in a great stake. I think it's going to benefit him well here this weekend. Yeah, I think so, too. So that's exactly what I thought when I saw the replay of the Preakness. Epicenter, terrible trip. I think Epicenter was still the best horse in the race, just had the worst trip, and he was able to catch up to second, you know. So uh, if he didn't catch second, then I might have been left in the dust with my uh, saver tickets there, Sig. But I was really happy that he was able to at least get up to that. <clears throat> and I think I almost did. I think I might have did an all button uh, over him on top. I think they, I think it was one of those for my exactus. So uh, interesting how that went through. But now we have a Belmont race here. Is Jose Ortiz riding uh, this weekend? Uh, Jose is riding this weekend here. He is on, uh, 
Yeah, I had so many things going through my mind. He's on a, a nest, the Philly, running for Claude Fletcher here. Uh, he's replacing his brother Irad, who stayed with Mo Donegal. There you go. He is replacing and jumping on nest here. So that is, uh, that's interesting. And Irod's on Mo Donegal. Any reason for that? Uh, Irad rode uh, Mo Donegal uh, in most of his early races. He rode him in the Kentucky Derby. Um, if you've, I, I Loved Mo Donegal in the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strake actually got the trip in the Derby that I thought Mo Donegal would get. Uh, he broke poorly, even from the one spot, which was I thought was going to be to his benefit because they get him in the mid-pack, but he ended up breaking 19th out of those 20 horses there. So I think he's definitely a contender here on the Belmont. I think he's built for the stamina, and Todd Pletcher knows how to win this race. He's done it three times previously. Certainly has. So is there some excitement in this uh, race shaping up because we only have an eight-horse field here? Any stories? Um, I think the biggest story is going to be uh, the morning line favorites. Uh, we the People is uh, trained by Rudolph Brousset. It's going to be rode by Flavian Pratt. Uh, he hasn't raced on the Triple Crown Trail other than he uh, took a, he raced in the Arkansas Derby back at Oakland in April, uh, finished seventh that day. wasn't impressive at all. Uh, what was impressive and what uh, basically got their attention in New York is that he won the Peter Pan, which is the prep race basically for the Belmont. And he didn't just win the Peter Pan. He won the Peter Pan by 10 lengths. Not that it was the best field that day, but anytime you can prove that you can run over that Belmont track. And it wasn't even a fast track that day. It was just labeled as good. So a little bit of dampness in the track will not hurt that horse. I'm just concerned that he doesn't have the experience to race with some of these other horses coming out of some of these other big triple crown races. Yeah, I mean, he was the Pier Pan was a grade three race, I believe. And coming into this race, definitely more competition. I remember Mo Donegal was a sleeper coming in the one hole of the Kentucky Derby. And yeah, he didn't get the closer type trip. But I think when it comes to a race this long, it doesn't matter if you're in the one hole. I mean, if you're a true closer, you should be able to have the distance to catch him, right? Right. I mean, a lot of people, the fallacy is people think that closers should do good in the Belmont Stakes. It's actually not true. If you go back and look at history, uh, the number of the number of what most of the winners that you see have been on or near the early pace in the race. And that's my concern with this weekend is if they let uh, we the people get out early, which he is the, really the only uh, speed horse in the race. If Flavian Pratt can get him out early, get some space on the field and then slow the pace down, he might have enough horse to get the whole distance here. Unless, of course, there's suicide fractions then anything could change when that happens right sig <laughs> and that's what makes it exciting to me you know it's anything can happen here and i got i wrote down some horses that i like and we're, we're i'm gonna see when we get to that um what your thoughts on are on those horses but before we get to that What's the history of this race, and how come it being older than the Derby and the Preakness, why is it the longest? Was it always this long, and they kind of just made the next one shorter? I mean, the history's in the 1800s here. Um, they moved the distance around a number of times. I think it's since about around 1930, 1920, 1930, though. It's been this mile and a half distance here. Uh, one of the most interesting things about the Belmont Stakes is it was run clockwise until 1921, which is the direction that you see most European horse races go. Uh, and then you watch an American race, and they're going counterclockwise. So it was a little bit odd, and they basically stuck to it until 1921, which was kind of odd considering a number of other, most of the other big races in North America were going in the counterclockwise that way. 
Another interesting fact about the Belmont is that uh, they didn't hold it for two years in 1911 and 1912 because there was anti-gambling legislation in New York that uh, basically uh, they didn't have any reason to run the race. They couldn't bet on it. And there's a really, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, I'll let it ride, but there's a really great scene with Terry Gar in the jockey club where she goes, can't you people just watch the horses run around? Yeah, the right, reason, right. The whole reason we watch horse racing is because we bet on horse racing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, seriously, we, uh, you know, we're not in it for to see the cute little horses and prancing around here. It's a little bit more than that. <laughs> it might be some beers involved as well. No, that is a funny point here. But um, great, no, that's great history. I didn't even know they ran a counter cockeyes. That's that's amazing to me. Um, what's the strength of this field? I mean, I would, if you ask me, I would say weak compared to others. But what is your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I would tend to agree with you on that. This isn't the toughest field here. Um, but they always, I mean, the Triple Crown is always a test of a champion. And there's been a lot of debate on Twitter over the last five weeks because Rich Strike won the Derby and his connections decided to skip the Preakness and, and train up to the Belmont here that we weren't even going to have a shot at a Triple Crown. But, I mean, we didn't have a Triple Crown winner from around 19, I think, 1948 till 1973 when the Secretariat did it. And then we had another long drought from 70, I'm sorry, 78 till 2015 when American Pharaoh did it. So it is, I mean, it's tough to do in general and then just to have the horse to do it. But yeah, this field isn't the best field here, but it could set up for some decent payouts because of how the way the betting interests, I think, are going to go. Wow. And it's, I'm so happy that at least Rich Strike is in this. It brings it, it's going to bring legitimacy to him or failure, <laughs> you know, or they're going to say this is a fluke or this horse was for real. And I am excited to see what your thoughts are on this rich strike horse. Uh, who Eric reads the trainer, right? Lee owns the rider. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on uh, this horse in general? Well, other than the fact that he cost me a ton of money on Derby day, so <laughs> I'm not still at this point. He had, uh, this is, I mean, this is on the horse and on the rider. I mean, that was still, I go back and watch the replays because I didn't see it happening in real time until it was too late because I was concentrating on the Sandon Epicenter battle going on. That Rich Strike came out of nowhere. But the ride that Sonny Leon gave this horse, bringing him basically from the back of the field to the, uh, the winner at the finish line was amazing. The way he navigated traffic, the way he made split-second decisions that if he makes one wrong decision, this horse doesn't even hit the board, probably doesn't even finish in the top 10. But he made every right decision here. And it's going to be very interesting to see yeah, how he stands up against this field in the Belmont on Saturday, whether to legitimize his Kentucky Derby win here or if uh, he gets written off. But he is going to take a ton of money, I think, based on that Kentucky Derby win and that performance here. And that's going to be good for us if we're going to play against them, which we may be. <laughs> Looks like it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> like you cost me once, you're gonna, I'm going to make you cost me again, guy. That's the way I kind of think as well. But here you are. You're seven to two odds, three and a half to one, right? But uh, then you got, you know, like you said, the winner of the Kentucky Derby at seven, uh, or sorry, the um, uh, Mo Donegal, the, 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 the closer. At the Kentucky Derby at five to two, which is two and a half to one, and then you have the We the People horse that hasn't really been tested in a massive field. I guess the Arkansas Derby was decent, but he didn't even place in that. But then he makes a big jump in his buyers from seventy three to one hundred three. I find that interesting because if you want to look at jumping buyers, there's two horses that make it that it's him and Rich Strike. You know, eighty four to one hundred one big jump this is a massive jump so i'm wondering if 
maybe Mo Donegal is going to become the favorite the day of the Belmont, you know, and then maybe we the people creeps down to three to one. Any thoughts on that? Um, I wouldn't argue at all about that fact. Uh, what I see, though, is there's going to be a ton of money spread out over a number of horses. Uh, we the people, because of his performance in the Peter Pan, is going to take money. Mo Donegal and Nestor, Nestor Philly are both going to take money. They're both Fletcher trained, and Fletcher's proven he can uh, win this Belmont and do well in the Belmont with three wins, six second-place finishes, and three third-place finishes. So he knows how to get a horse ready to make the distance. And then um, – <clears throat> Creative Minister's coming back from that Preakness performance. Uh, it's going to be a second time in a field like this. And a horse I think is going to be overlooked that I'm looking forward to seeing race is Barbara Road uh, for uh, trainer John Ortiz. He gets a huge jockey upgrade in here. He's listed 10 to 1 in the morning line. I think he's going to go off higher than that. Uh, he finished sixth in the Derby, making another big run uh, late like Rich Strike and Modonical did. Uh, you finished the, the closers in the Kentucky Derby did fantastic because of the pace setup that they got here. I don't think you're going to see a pace setup like that because I don't think there's anybody that can go with we the people early in this race. But uh, you're going to see those closers still running late, and a lot of them can are, look like they're bred to run all day. So I think they're going to see a great stretch run coming down here. But the money, to go back to your question, the money's going to be spread out between a number of betting interests here. So I think we're going to get good odds on almost all of these horses, at least two to one or better. Uh, and then some of these longer shots are going to be way up there, floating up there. That may even have a shot to blow up your tickets late. Well, that'll be interesting for somebody. Just depends upon how you want to play this race, man. Um, I love how you mentioned Barber Road because I look at the name Tappet when I'm looking at this race. Um, I remember winning in 2017 on Tap Rit, and he had the same bloodline as Tappet. And I looked at this horse. I looked at him come up. It was a late bet for me. And I'm like, this horse bred for uh, distance, I thought. And um, I, I, it looks like that he was, you know, the bloodline of Tappet. Well, you got Barber Road, Cyrus Race Day, which is also the bloodline of Tappet. You have Creative Minister, the number five horse here at six to one that has some Tappet DNA. And, and he obviously, um, Creative Minister, took third in the Preakness. Don't know what would happen if the race was, you know, over a quarter mile longer. And then you have We the People, that is two to one, that also Sire Constitution has the Tappet bloodline. Any thoughts on that bloodline, why it's so common in this race? Um, I mean, actually, you look at all these horses in here, I mean, between Constitution with Tappet, uh, Uncle Mo with Indian Charlie, and then we have, uh, well, the interesting one I think to me is Keen Ice on Rich Strike, because Keen Ice didn't have, I mean, Keen Ice had some decent wins in his career, but he did finish third in the 2015 Belmont, the year American Pharaoh won it, and Keen Ice's last win was over the Belmont surface in the Suburban in 2017, but he's he was a horse known for distance, but like the horses like Giant Causeway, Tappet, Uncle Mo, they're all, they're bred to run all day, and these are the horses that you see go to the Belmont, because their trainers get out there with the horses in the morning, and they can see what they can do, they can see how much stamina they have, and those are the horses, uh, it comes down to breeding, and you have a lot of bloodstock agents out there and so forth, that when you get the right uh, blend of two, a couple, a, a, a Samara Colt and a mare, uh, that you uh, get a nice uh, progeny out of that. You can get these horses that may not look fantastic when you just take a look at them, but when you get them out on the track, they just seem to go and go and go like the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> like the Energizer Bunny. That's what we're looking for in this race. So let's get to the question then, starting out with who are we tossing off the I mean, we have eight horses. 
Are we tossing anybody off our ticket? Who are we tossing off our ticket here? I am tossing one horse for sure off all my tickets as Golden Glider. He is the horse that finished second to We the People in the Peter Pan. He was 10 lengths back there. Uh, that's probably the only time I'm going to talk about Golden Glider the entire weekend. I did it one time on Pony Pundits just to toss him out. Uh, the other horse I probably won't be using a whole lot of uh, other than on the very bottom of some Superfecta tickets and possibly the bottom of one Trifecta ticket is Skippy Longstocking for trainer Safi Joseph. I just don't think he's got the distance in him. He had he had a decent race in the Preakness, but I don't foresee him making a difference in this, against this field. So we can toss two right now. Well, well, there you go. All right. Skippy Longstocking. Uh, yeah, that horse, that name annoys me for some reason. I think my because my, my sisters, when I was young, watched Pippi Longstocking stocking way too much, and it was always on my TV. It drove me nuts, man. You know how it is. Like Maybe like a Disney movie or something. But, uh, yeah, well, I have no problem tossing Skippy off the ticket. And it's too long to write. You, you shouldn't have a horse with over 10 letters like that. I mean, that's absolutely brutal, man. Even typing, it's a pain. So forget about that one. But uh, <laughs> I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think the market agrees with that, too, though, at 20 to 1. Obviously, it would take uh, something crazy for those tickets to cash, and it would probably cash a lot. But who's your long shot in this race if it's not going to be, let's just say, we the people, or if it's not going to be uh, a Mo Donegal? Well, I mean, there's three horses in here that are better than 6 to 1 on the morning line odds that I think all have a shot in this race, whether or not to win or hit your tickets here. Uh, I still, I'm still, i still on the Creative Minister bandwagon. I used him as I'm on top of the Preakness. Uh, I like him in this race here. Uh, the fact is, his connections, uh, Ken McPeak trained the 2007 uh, Belmont Stakes winner in Sareva. Uh, came out of nowhere. Hadn't raced in any previous Triple Crown races. But they put the $150,000 down to get this horse uh, Triple Crown nominated to get him into the Preakness. And, I mean, that's not... I mean, that's chump change to a lot of horse owners, but it's a decent amount of money to, to basically invest, hoping your horse makes it makes it back just in purse money. Uh, I think Creative Minister got a huge amount of experience in his Preakness run. I think that uh, the extra distance may actually be an added value to him. And the only concern I have with him is this is going to be his fifth race uh, in basically three months. He started his career back in March, and he's on a, the Triple Crown uh regimen basically he raced on derby day in an, uh, one of the undercard races then right in the preakness and now he's running the belmont so people are saying that the triple crown uh, is too much too many races not space far enough apart uh, if creative minister comes back and shows does well in the belmont uh, it's going to prove that these races are spaced still accordingly here uh nest the todd pletcher philly we haven't talked a whole lot about here uh she's eight to one the morning line uh, Pletcher knows something about Phillies winning the Belmont. He did it with Rags and Richards in 2007. He had the last Philly in here in 2013 with unlimited budget. So he knows them, and he knows that even though this girl finished second to Secret Oath, who uh, basically ran an amazing race in the Kentucky Oaks after coming back to finish fourth in the Preakness, uh, Nest, I think, is definitely got the breeding in here to be a horse that can run all day, and I think she's going to be one of the horses running late. I expect to, I'm going to use her on my exactas, my trifectas, and my superfectas. I think she definitely gets a piece of it. Uh, the longest shot that I think has a shot in here is Barbara Road, the closer for John Ortiz. Like I said, Joel Rosario is picking up the, the mount, and no disrespect to Ray Luke Gutierrez, who's ridden in most of his career here. It's a huge upgrade for him. 
If you want to go back and watch uh, just Barber Road in the Kentucky Derby, this horse was six wide in the far turn uh, making the run and still got up to finish sixth in that race. You think a jockey like Rosario, who's probably his best uh, attribute is he can basically time the late run on his horses. So you take a closing horse like Barber Road, if Rosario can basically preserve him and get him a nice uh, rail-saving trip here, he's going to have a lot coming down that stretch here. And I think that 10 to 1 is going to float up a lot higher with those other betting interests. Uh, we got We the People and, um, excuse me, We the People, Rich Strike and Modonagle are all going to take money. I think Ness is going to take money. So I think Barber Road is going to float up a lot higher than that 10 to 1. I think he's got a huge shot to blow up your tickets at the bottom of your trifectas and your superfectas. He'll be running late. That's great stuff. I have Barber Road as one of the ones that, uh, obviously, with the tap it. And so I think I'm on the same page as you. we got about a minute left. Are you going to tell us who's going to win it all? Oh, I'm playing towards Mo Donegal here. I liked him back in the Kentucky Derby. I still like him here. Uh, I think he's going to get a much better trip. And the thing that he has going for him that these horses don't is the home field advantage. He trains. He's stable at Belmont. He gets to sleep in his own stall at night. Gets to wake up the next morning. He's going to be. He basically feels like he's going to be out there doing a workout. Uh, I also like, like I said, Creative Minister uh, six to one. I think he's going to get a much better race than he got in the Preakness here. Uh, like Ness and I like Barbara Rose. So the horses I'm looking at here on Saturday are six, five, three, and eight. All right, six, five, three, and eight from Sig. Great stuff, Sig. Where could our listeners get your tickets and your great information? Uh, you can find me at Wager Talk at wt.buzz forward slash sig. Uh, I have daily racing reports up there. Right now we're covering the Belmont meet. Uh, in July we'll switch to Saratoga. Uh, but and then you can also catch me on the Pony Pundits on Wager Talk TV. Uh, we usually shoot on Friday afternoons. This week we shot early uh, because of a bigger show for the Belmont. Uh, it's out there. You can find it on the YouTube channel for Wager Talk. And if you guys are looking to bet uh, the Belmont Racing Festival this weekend, I got four days of racing available for you at Wager Talk right now for only twenty-five bucks. Uh, it's normally nine bucks a day, so the four-day pass would cost you normally thirty-six. You're going to save over thirty percent. Get all my picks Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Belmont this week for just twenty-five dollars over at Wager Talk. Woo, that is a hell of a deal, Sig. Thank you so much. Nobody knows the Belmont like Sig Las Vegas. Make sure you check them out. Thanks a lot for coming on, Sig. Thanks for having me. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions for the Ozbreakers about anything that we covered, feel free to tweet us at the Ozbreakers or contact us at theozbreakers.com. I hope everyone enjoys the races, enjoys all the games, and go get some winners.